Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Okay, it's definitely a silly video with a low budget, um, but indulge me here. I think it kind of gets at the very serious task of loving your neighbor as yourself. This commandment, according to Jesus and Deuteronomy, a book in the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament, um, is pretty important, according to Christ. And if, if loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength is at the top of the charts, loving your neighbor at yourself, as yourself comes in close as number two. But really, these commandments are not in competition, they're connected. So after nights of frustration with his rowdy neighbor, when he goes to knock on the door and really get into a fight with this guy, he finds his own face looking back at him. Suddenly, it's a little harder to hate the neighbor who annoys you when you find an unexpected glimpse of yourself in them. And there's, there's a reason we avoid this truth and we stay isolated and insulated in our identities. Our neighbor is someone out there. They couldn't be too close to us or have too much in common with us. We want to be our own people, right? And if we are truly separate from everybody else, we can judge them by a different standard than we judge ourselves. Isn't that fun sometimes? <laughs> or the opposite can be true. We can sometimes treat them better than we would treat ourselves. We can say things to our neighbor that we would never say to ourselves. We can hate our neighbor as if hatred is a one-way street. We can blame our neighbor for all the evil in the world. But sometimes, as Donald Miller, the author of Blue Like Jazz, said a few years ago, sometimes the hard part of this commandment is not loving the neighbor part. It's the loving ourselves part. Have you ever found yourself complimenting someone with so much kindness? Girl, I love your dress. And then you turn and whisper cruel words to your own self. Or you give yourself a lot of grace and forgiveness, but you forget to extend that same grace and forgiveness to someone else. Separation allows us to control how we treat others and ourselves with a compartmentalized comfort. There's you and there's me, and never the twain shall meet. But doesn't that sound lonely? If we try to control love, we can give it and withhold it on our own terms, but then Jesus comes and messes all that up. <laughs> because Jesus isn't just concerned with you or me or us or them or heaven and earth. All of these separations become less important to Christ. 
Because his mission on earth was to mediate, to illuminate, to fully express the love of God in the flesh on earth. So he had to see himself connected to other humans, to other neighbors. He never saw himself as separate from them. He saw himself in them. Parts of himself, parts of his love. Our efforts to separate ourselves from others are always an illusion. But God has always seen through this illusion and longed for us to have something better than being separated from each other and from God. Because you see, God knows the truth about love, that true love can't be controlled or divvied out in isolation. Love is too free to be controlled. It's too good to be separated. And so this means how we treat ourselves is inextricably tied to how we treat our neighbors. And how we treat our neighbors has an impact on ourselves too. Let's hear a passage from the Gospel of Mark. And if you're interested in following along, I'm in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus was really getting into all of this. And he had a lot of haters. Um, Jesus really always had haters, let's be real. <laughs> um, and some big haters were the scribes. And the scribes were in charge of legal matters for the temple. They were legal religious experts. Remember, in ancient times, there wasn't the separation of church and state. And so these scribes were very involved in both religious and legal matters for ancient Israel. And so in verse 28, let's begin there. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered him, them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and besides him, there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. And after that, no one dared to ask him any question. To love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is much more important than all the rules and getting things right. This matters more than perfect church attendance 
or knowing everything perfectly in the Bible, loving your neighbor as yourself matters more to God. And so therefore, it should matter more to us. So how, how do we do this commandment if we can't be separate from our neighbor, if we have to be connected to each other? How do we do this? Well, it, it means surrendering our control because we don't get to decide the terms of love. Love doesn't belong to us alone. It's a gift from God that we must steward on God's terms, not ours. We don't get to hand out love to others and withhold it from ourselves because that's not how love really works. And we don't get to love ourselves protectively and withhold it from others. Because that's not how love really works. Love is interdependent connection. When, when our friend here on the screen opens the door and sees a very familiar face, you might say, he realizes, he faces the reality that the neighbor who annoys him may not be so separate from him after all. And this is the good news of Jesus, that we are not separate from each other. We are not alone in our existence. And that means, darn it, that if we love others, we have to learn to love ourselves. And if we love ourselves, we have to learn to love others. Are you hearing the paradox and the, the this and that? So much of the gospel is paradoxical. And that's confusing to continue to interpret over time. So much of Christian tradition has chosen black and white thinking instead. Mystery and paradox is inconvenient to true, true faith. True faith takes us into those mysterious places. And we can't hoard our love. The more we know about love, the less we want to hoard it. And the more vulnerable we are willing to be to receive it. Receiving love is not easy either, is it? This is the vulnerability that's required of us in our relationship to our neighbors. Many of us have learned that in order to love others, we must deny ourselves completely and sacrifice our own needs to care for someone else. Have you ever heard that in Christian thinking? Put yourself last. As if our love is a finite resource that must be given away completely to save someone else and leave us with nothing. And don't get me wrong, Jesus does teach us that giving of ourselves is key to our faith. 
taking up your own cross is always part of the equation. But Jesus never asks us to be completely depleted or burned out so that our neighbor can thrive. Jesus disrupted this binary completely. Because the truth is that when we give to our neighbors from a place of Christ-like abundance, we cannot help but also be filled up. If we are truly connected to others, how could we bless another and not be blessed ourselves too? It's a mystery, this connection thing, but Jesus is always here to help us with it. And when we find ourselves pulling away in protection, he invites us to come back into community, to risk ourselves, to experience love more fully. The paradox of faith. In giving, we somehow receive. In dying, we begin to live. So many paradoxes in the gospel, but I think our faith journeys would be so much better if we didn't run from these paradoxes, but we embraced them. That faith is complicated. That there are paradoxical truths and that we are connected to each other. In the Gospel of John, we, we just read this this morning in our call to worship. Think about the opening of John, the opening credits of the Gospel story, if you will. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. And without Him, nothing was made. Through him, all things were made. This is such an important verse because it means that everything we see in the world came into being through the love of Christ. You see, Jesus isn't just a one-time historical savior that is tied to a period in history he isn't just a transactional savior that got us out of a bad deal with God and then we can move on. All of creation itself is an example of God's reconciling, saving love in Christ. And God could have stayed separate from us. God could have never created. God could have lived alone. God could have held all power within. God could have chosen predictability. God could have chosen isolation. But instead, through the love of Christ, God chose to create the world. God chose to create a neighborhood to begin with, a gorgeous universe full of different galaxies, zip codes, and planets 
because God didn't want to live alone. God wanted to be in relationship to creation. It's as if God was saying, like Mr. Rogers says, won't you be my We're all part of God's creation. One reason we can be neighbors to each other is because we all are created by God. And even though we look different and we have different experiences, sometimes vastly different experiences, we're all from the same creator. God sees himself in us. She sees her sparks of beauty and creativity. The artist sees themselves in the art that they create. And so then the task is for us to be able to see each other differently. Can we start to see each other, each of us, as artistic creations of God that are worthy of care? and love. Richard Rohr wrote in this book, The Universal Christ, and he says this, he says, a mature Christian sees Christ in everything and everyone else. That is a definition that will never fail you, always demand more of you, and give you no reasons to fight, exclude, or reject anyone. Seeing Christ in everything and everyone else. That's, that's the task we have. And of course we'll often stumble at it. Of course we'll end up sometimes seeing an enemy, a foe, an opponent instead of Jesus. But may God remind us again and again that we are connected that we each bear the image of God. We are not so fallen that we don't still bear the mark of our creator. And our creator is magnified by our lives, our songs, our actions, our communities, our neighborhoods. So this is our work, to remember our connection to our creator and choose that over everything else that could separate us, that could turn us to violence to one another. We keep remembering our common connection to our creator. It's, it's big ideas, I know. You'll have to chew on it for a while. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know which one of those is harder for you, loving your neighbor or loving yourself. Maybe they're both hard. Maybe you find yourselves judging both of them. But I'm here to share the good news that it doesn't always have to be like that. The good news of Jesus is that this is possible. Through the Holy Spirit, through God's love, 
we can learn to love others and love ourselves in more Christ-like ways. We don't have to reject ourselves to love another, and we don't have to judge another to feel better about ourselves. Because remember, we're not separate. We're not opponents. We are part of the same creation. We'll keep remembering this. And what does this all mean on a daily basis, okay? It's always hard to get sermons to have a practical application. Bryson, this is the first thing we'll talk about. Because then you leave here and you go out in your lives. And what do you do? Well, it's a daily practice. Learning to love your neighbor as you love yourself is an ongoing thing. We're not going to get it right tomorrow or the next day. <laughs> but that's, that's the beauty of grace. We're always invited to this journey. And it also means that learning to love ourselves doesn't have to just be a private journey in therapy. You don't have to go away somewhere to learn how to love yourself. Since we are all so connected, you can practice loving yourself in acts of love for your neighbor. Because the truth, my friends, is that within each of us lies something of the whole collective of creation. Of course, we have our own unique identities and personalities, our different stories, our differences that sometimes feel so much more important than our commonalities. But we are straight up fooling ourselves if we don't think that within us lies the image of God that everyone shares, everyone has. And seeing the humanity of another person makes us more human. So I'm not sure which which of these will be the unexpected neighbor to you. Maybe the unexpected neighbor is sometimes the one within us. Sometimes the unexpected neighbor is the person looking back at you in the mirror. And sometimes it's that person that we have to learn to befriend. Khalil Gibran has a quote that says, and God said, love your enemy, and I obeyed him and loved myself. Loving yourself, loving others, they aren't as separate as you think. And the whole point of this is that we belong to each other. We are cut from the same cloth. We are threads of the same tapestry. We are woven together, held by God's grace. And while we might prefer sometimes to be isolated and alone, love won't leave us alone. 
for long. Love has a way of seeking us out, drawing us near, leaving us different than how it found us. It's unexpected, it's paradoxical, and it might just mean that nothing we can do will ever separate us from God and will never separate us from each other, our fellow neighbors. I was in a car accident last weekend. I'm obviously very okay, um, but it did shake me up a bit. And um, it's really interesting. I, I was at an intersection and I ended up going through a green light or going through a completely dark light. The light was out, electrical error. The other person had a green light. His name is Kevon. And so in my error, I drove through the intersection and we collided. And what's interesting is when I apologized profusely to Kevon, I said, I'm so sorry this happened. He showed me so much grace as a neighbor. He said, it's okay, a new experience shared with a new person is a beautiful thing. Because maybe he saw parts of himself in me. Maybe he knew that with different timing, it could have been him on the other side of the intersection. Maybe he knew that we weren't so separate. And even though our insurance companies will be pitting us against each other, Maybe our true identities can't be found on our insurance policy ID cards. Because our true identities are both beloved children of God who were in an accident. That's grace. And I'm so grateful for it. 